The Exton Moss Experiment. Adventures in Wine and Space with Simon Exton and Ken Moss. Episode 57. Zodiac. Hello everyone and a very warm welcome to the Exton Moss Experiment. I'm Ken Moss. I'm Simon Exton. And tonight we are very fortunate to be joined by our good friends from around the archives. Guys, do you want to introduce yourselves? Hello, I'm Andrew Trowbridge. Uh, hello, I'm Lisa Parker. Hello, Simon. Hello, Ken. And hello, everyone. Hello. It's like the reverse Waltons, isn't it? Right, tonight we're going to be looking at a series from 1974. It's a six-part sort of police thing called Zodiac with Anton Rogers and Anushka Hempel. Before we do that, a bit of housekeeping. It's time to get open the gin with the tonic screwdriver. Andy, Lisa, it's only gentlemanly to let you guys go first. What have you got for tonight? Right, I have got Renal's Wildberry Gin, which is very pink. She got it with lemonade for a change rather than tonic. It's not as fruity as I'd hoped. But I would give it three burners out of five. It's quite pleasant. Now, do you have any info with this, or have you not got the bottle in front of you? I haven't got the bottle in front of me, no. I've left it in the kitchen. But as I say, um, it, it's apparently infused with wild berries. Wild? They were absolutely livid. <laughs> <laughs> I have two pink gins, and I think the other one is more fruity, which is the golden one. And I always forget ah, which yes. one is which. The Gordon's one got... is better than the Greenall's, yes. I will second yeah. that. And you, you've not got gin at all, have you, Andrew? Well, gin and I have never really been good bedfellows. <laughs> I don't know whether you're supposed to have it in other places, but hey. <laughs> um, so I always reach for a whiskey in these situations. So today I have got Crabby's Yardhead from John Crabby & Co. A single malt Scotch whiskey, apparently. And there's very little information on it at all, apart from that it's 40% alcohol and it's got 28 units in the whole bottle. So I'm only supposed to drink half a bottle. Mm. But whiskey lasts me a long time. It does. So. I think that's in a week, not at once. <laughs> that's the advice, is it? Well, at most I'm going to have one unit tonight. So let's have a go with it then. Let's see what it is. Just a smidgen of it. Very pale, sort of orangey yellow. Let's see what, what it does. Well, it certainly goes up the nose, and that certainly is whiskey. <laughs> okay. Beyond that, I'm not getting very much at all. But it's not one of your better malt whiskey. But I think so. this is meant to be a fairly cheap and cheerful job. Yeah. So you pay for it, and you get some whiskey, and I think that's about it. <laughs> so compared to things like Lefroy, which I think I mentioned last time, this is probably only a two. Uh, two out of five. It exists as whiskey, but beyond that, it hasn't got any bells and whistles. I'm not throwing it away from myself, but <laughs> the one unit I'm going to have tonight, I've no inclination to go for a second. So <laughs> at least it's healthy whiskey. It's going to take me a long time to get through it. Okay. So, there we are. Well, Simon and I are on the gin. Tonight we are on Tarquin Strawberry and Lime Gin, which is crafted on the wild Cornish coast. The info bollocks is remarkably scant on these. Enjoy a little bit of Cornish sunshine in every glass, infused with British strawberries and fresh lime zest. It's 38% and I'm going to steam in straight away with 5 out of 5 Bernards. It's very strawberry, but not in that sickly sweet way. 
Simon, what do you think? I quite like that sickly sweet way of, that strawberries have. Um, this is a little bit too limey for me for a five out of five. It's a four out of five. Um, you can taste the strawberries. You can taste the lime. I think it's overdone the lime, and that's not the sweetness of the strawberries on the head. I suspect it would make a very nice martini, but we never drink things as, uh, as martinis for the podcast. And as a sipping gin, which is where we tend to have these fruity ones, I'm not wildly impressed. I mean, no, that, that's a little unfair. It's it's nice. It is disappointing compared to how good the other Tarquins have been. Um, so, yes, four out of five for me. I'm slightly disappointed in, in that, but only in comparison to how good the, the last one we had, which was... Uh, the rhubarb and raspberry, that was absolutely lovely. Yes, it was, yeah. The Tarquins so far, of the three that we've already had, and there's a fourth one to come, they've all been exceptionally good. Consistently exceptional. Oh, I'm on the website. They, they do a navy strength gin. Oh, that's nice. Oh, Tarquins Cornish Crocus gin with saffron, rose and almond. That might, that might be nice, but the aniseed one may not. Oh, no, aniseed's not nice. We had aniseed. Uh, tea with aniseed in once the only tea we've had that ever got thrown away isn't it was that that christopher that was the uh the the nine tea yeah Yeah. (laughs) not pleasant at all it's like drinking not made by christopher but for some reason it was we had different doctor teas and um, that particular one had aniseed in and it was like drinking hot licorice oh no now i um let me look up the name of it and i probably won't be able to pronounce it but in finland they have a famous liqueur, uh, yeah, salmiaki, which is described as tasting like salty licorice. It's okay. really quite revolting. I think it's one of those things like Latvian black balsam, where it's given to unsuspecting tourists as a kind of joke. It is really quite revolting, and even the Finnish people I know don't like it. With that, grab your glasses, boys and girls. We shall virtually descend into the Black Archive. <laughs> Andy and Lisa, have you got anything for us tonight that you'd like to recover? Now, if I said Talking Pictures TV to you, I think (laughs) that's a channel you might be... Is this Talking Cobblers? Talking... Well, well, we call them Stalking Pictures, actually, (laughs) because they always keep showing things a month after we do an article about them. But they've recently started showing Runaround on a Saturday and... Is it Sunday Sunday morning morning, as well? And I remember Runaround as a kid, but I've looked at the list of missing episodes, and it's quite frighteningly long. Now, some people might regard a kid's quiz show from ITV as being fairly disposable, and I guess maybe it is. But the more we do around the archives, the more we realise that disposable TV starts to become time capsules of, mm-hmm. of when it was made. And Runaround actually starts in 1975, but the earliest episode they were able to show is from 1978. They're all with Mike Reed. Yes. But you've got appearances by Slade and the Wombles and the Household Cavalry, the Royal Marines, uh, the Magpie Team, Elvin Stardust. And there are episodes presented by Leslie Crowther and Stan Boardman, would you believe? Mm. It's not just Mike Reed. I was going to say Leslie Crowther, I would, because he was one of the earlier presenters of Cracker Jack, wasn't he? Yeah, so he that's a, right. A of... There's a fantastic Halloween edition of Runaround that does exist, which features Charles Hawtrey coming yes. on as Dracula. Yes. And he's clearly heavily refreshed. Yes. Shall we say. <laughs> Very heavily refreshed. He claims to be Trixia, the younger brother of Dracula. 
and he has great difficulty even setting the questions for the kids. Yeah. He comes in in a hearse, a horse-drawn hearse, doesn't yeah. he? And gets out of the coffin with the full gear on. And it's hilarious to watch. So I would love to see more of these strange guests coming on on this show. And it, it's just great fun to see. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, Runaround is definitely my nomination this time. What about you, Lisa? I would like to go for um, the hundreds of episodes of Jack and Ori that are missing from the archives, particularly the uh, version of Wurzel Gummidge as read by Jeffrey Bailson um, a full sort of seven or eight years before he becomes the Crow Man. But there's just loads of it that are missing. There's bits and pieces stuck on the start of Blue Peter tape, but that's all that exists of them. All these great people that read all these stories that we can't see because they certainly no longer exist. I think that's a fantastic choice. I, I remember watching Jack and Ori as a kid and absolutely loving it. For me, it's uh, Bernard Cribbins. Is, I know it was one of many, but everything that I seem to enjoy remembering was Bernard Cribbins. Although, interestingly, I found a couple of years ago, they released on CD, a five-part version of The Hobbit with Jan Francis, and I can't remember who else was in it. I've actually bought it, but it's this lovely audio recording of, of Jack and Ori. I can't quite believe why it's not been sort of updated and, and brought back and rebooted as a modern version. I think it's a great way of telling stories to kids. You do get a version of Jack and Ori on the CBBS channel. Um, there's a bedtime story every night, a 10 minute story at 10 to 7, just before the channel shuts down. And it's intended so that young children will watch it and relax and then they'll go to sleep. And you've got some really quite different people doing it. I think Tom Hardy's read a couple of stories. So, right. yeah. Of, of the original run, there is a Winnie the Pooh done by Willie Rushton. Yes, it was always Willie Rushton. Which does exist. Yeah. And that, yeah. that's fantastic. Yeah. But yeah, certainly the, the gummage ones that are missing. I was surprised to find out that Johnny Briggs and the Whitby Weekend is missing. And I remember that being on the telly. They're missing right up until uh, the late 70s, some of them. Yeah, there, there are the ones that you will have seen that are missing, which is the frightening thing. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing that always surprises me and uh, is um, Cracker Jack, which was hugely, hugely um, popular when I was a kid. The latest uh, editions of that to be missing are from 1979. Simon, what's your choice to come out of the Black Archive? Right, I'm going to come away from Kitty's TV stuff and go for a thriller. Um, and this was a thing called Little Red Monkey from 1953. It was broadcast on the 24th of January and it was all about a series of murders of scientists. Um, and there was um, uh, the monkey's paw print found at the scene of each murder. And uh, some of these scientists were killed in locked rooms that no person could get into. Um, and it, it turned out to be a little bit of a sort of opposite of the murders in the room walk, in that, um, yes, there was a monkey who was the, the pet of the assassin who was a midget. <laughs> and it did start on a Blackman and Donald Houston. Now, it is possible to see the story, so, although not the original TV version, because it is something that was remade as a film two years later. The original TV version is lost, the one with Donna Blackman. She was replaced by Rona Anderson. And looking at the cast list, the only name that really leaps out is Noel Johnson. Who played the father of the cat people in Red Dwarf. And we have seen it. Oh, he was in the War Games, wasn't he? And he was in, uh, wasn't he the vicar in the TV version of Quizmaster in the Pit? Yes, he was. I am going to shut the door on the Black Archive and take us all next door to the Imaginarium. 
This is our repository of material that has never existed, but was either scheduled to or mooted at some point. In keeping with the theme of tonight's look at Zodiac, Anton Rogers was in a sitcom called May to December during the 80s with Leslie Dunlop. And there was a radio spin-off, a sort of an adaptation which they did for various seasons. I know One Foot in the Grave, um, some of the Blackadders, I think, certainly the Yes Ministers, Yes Prime Ministers, were adapted almost verbatim for radio. And May to December was one of these that was mooted to make the transition. By the early 90s, they decreed that the demographic who listened to radio didn't want to hear these, so they were quietly shelved. But it's only through watching Zodiac and reading on IMDb and Wikipedia that I've found out that it was never actually made. In the mists of time, I'm convinced I saw, in the back of the Radio Times, a listing for May to December on BBC Radio, and apparently this never happened. Andy and Lisa, this is possibly something you two can help me with, because you've got access to all the old Radio Times going back through history. So if this is something that you guys can either look up or help me with, I'd be terribly grateful, because according to Wikipedia, my memory's cheating. Well, I think we've got about five old Radio Timeses yeah. at the moment, so I don't think we can we can help you with that. Yeah. BBC Genome is, is what we use, which are transcripts of the Radio Times, but they don't include all the bits beyond the basic listing. Right. It's not ringing any bells with me. No. But Unless it's possible that they, because a lot of the stuff they played on the radio, just a few ministers of that, are just direct copies, aren't they? They're remade. Yeah, they are completely re-recorded, but I never really saw the point, because I've got all the Yes Ministers, and they did all but four of those. I never really saw the point, because they were verbatim. So I don't know why they didn't just lift the television soundtrack and play that, to be quite honest. Unless they were re-recorded in better audio quality. There are some Hancock's Half Hours, which were originally done for TV, which they then reissue as records. Mm -hmm. I've got some of those recordings and some words of dialogue are very slightly different they're not like the radio ones that they did on telly first these are original TV ones like the blood donor but there are record versions of those it's very odd sometimes when, when things are just redone for no readily apparent reason I just thought it was a furious waste of money for several of them. The Dad's Army ones, I've heard one or two, so I don't know how close they are to the TV versions. Are the Dad's Army ones just complete remakes, or are they brand new episodes? They are mostly the same plots, but A, because you've lost Walker, you have to recast Walker. There are a few ones where you've got big visual sequences on TV, like the one where Mannering's on the end of the balloon. And of course, five minutes of Mannering on the end of, of a balloon isn't very funny on audio. So inevitably, they have to rewrite and add a few bits and pieces. And so they're, they're sort of 80% the TV versions, but every now and then they have to take yeah. a bit of a change here and there, just for technical audio reasons. So yes, that's my contribution. We shall leave the Imaginarium and go back into the viewing room. Well, here we are, all present as holograms. Andy and Lisa, would you like to give us a precy of what Zodiac is and all about? Zodiac was one of those shows that didn't mean a thing to me. No. Lisa, no. how did we discover it? Do you remember? Uh, 
Well, we'd heard it mentioned on Who Done It. Every time Anushka Hempel is on um, Who Done It, it's obviously at the same time that Zodiac is being shown. So, sort of the 1974-75. But on part, we mentioned, mentioned it about yeah. Zodiac. Lovely lady, you know, from Zodiac. And I thought, oh, that sounds interesting. And I, I found out that the DVD was out. So, you got it for me for my birthday about five years ago or so. We didn't know what to expect, to be honest. We ended up rather enjoying it. But, yeah, it, it's the, the story of a policeman played by Anton Rogers who uh, meets uh, an astrologer who's played by Anushka Hempel and uh, she helps him to solve various crimes. Now, we've got the TV time from the week it debuted. Debuted. It debuted. <laughs> and Anushka Hempel actually gets the front cover for the TV Times. So there's no interview in there with her because they launched another magazine at the time. Yeah. And there's an interview in that with her. Yeah, I mean, this is 1974, isn't it? And mm-hmm. TV Times cost 6p in 1974. It says Anushka Hempel is in Zodiac. Can a crime be solved by the stars? And for the actual night it was shown... Uh, uh, 25th of February, 1974. Whoever heard of stargazing to catch a crook? Death of a Crab by Roger Marshall. Uh, With Anushka Hempel and Anton Rogers, astrology is strictly for the birds. That's the emphatic view of David Gradley, a work-shy ex-Horovian who has drifted into the police force. He meets a pretty young astrologer called Esther Jones and his ideas get knocked for six. There you go. That's the setup. Yeah. He's the sort of reluctant policeman, isn't he? He is. He doesn't really want to do much work, really. He'd yeah. rather be sort of sitting somewhere having a drink. Yeah. I'm glad I'm the I only mean, one that didn't think that. I mean, I was actually thinking about this afterwards. Do we see him at any point interact with other policemen? I don't think no. so. He's got one when they've got the, oh, uh, yeah. the Peter Vaughan episode. Yes. There is one sort of Bobby assisting him, yeah. isn't there? I don't think he gets to speak, though, But, he? yeah, he's not allowed to speak. He's not famous enough, no. <laughs> it's not the way it's written, but he does come across as somebody who quite fancies the idea of being a policeman, has no idea how to do it, and just sort of turns up and blethers. Well, if we had our friend Warren here, I'm yeah. sure he'd utterly destroy his professional attitude here. Yeah. Because you get all these crimes going on. And uh, Anushka Hempel has got no official status, but she always gets involved. You know, she wouldn't be allowed on the like, murder scenes and things like that. She'd be cleared away straight away. Yeah. But, yeah, as you say, he can't be asked to follow procedure. And the, the first murder funny. scene, he's wandering around just eating a plate of chips, isn't he? Yeah, that's right. He's sent down for some French fries because the hotel don't call them chips. No. Yeah. <laughs> no it's too posh a hotel for chips. Yeah. The one thing that struck me all the way through the series, there is a huge emphasis on food and drink. And showing it in that 1970s way of being terribly haute couture. And everything is portrayed as being glamorous, which is now looked at as a bit kitsch. Oh, and she makes that giant pot of pate, covers it completely in slices of orange, takes it through to the other room and then picks the slices of orange off to eat the pate. Yeah. <laughs> well, in the last episode, I did like the joke about the wine, where they've got the, the Van Ordinaire, which has been put in the, in the posh wine. I mean, yeah. I'm no wine expert. So I'd probably not be able to tell the difference. But he does pull some rather good faces. He does. Dreadful vinegary wine, isn't it? Yeah, but again, with that, 
to prove the point, she's taken one of these incredibly valuable bottles of wine off the premises of the merchant bank and just swanned out through the front door with it. For, for all anybody knows, she's nicking this incredibly valuable thing. No, it turns out not to be, but nobody used to know that at the time. But I have to say, we do enjoy this as a series. Yes, we do. Um, oh, yeah, yeah oh, it's entertainingly bonkers. And it's very good for guest stars. Again, it's, you know, it's yeah. only six episodes. It mm-hmm. should it should be twelve, in our opinion. Yeah. Just to justify the bloody name of the show. Yeah. Hey, like finding Peter Jones in the fridge. Yeah. Is, is not really <laughs> a thing that happens in every show, is it? And in that one, a fantastic portrayal from Michelle Dutrice of the the Dolly Bird, who's not as dumb as she's playing being. You said, yeah. Lisa, do you think people were recognised her at that point? Because she had done some others. So yeah. she was. I think it would have confused people a lot because she's obviously <laughs> doing a sort of different kind of accent. Yeah. There are bits of it where you can hear a bit of Betty. But... Betty coming through. <laughs> I thought yeah, she was channeling that... Sandra Dickinson, actually. <laughs> yeah, a bit. Yeah. That whole scene where they're playing the war game on the yeah. table that just pops up in so many other shows that you've got a general and he plays war games it's, mm. it's a very avengersy thing it isn't is. it mm. and of yeah. course roger marshall has got you know lots of avengers connections so mm. you almost feel like he's sort of half writing it would be roger marshall a bit in that yeah oh was it pt eldon that yeah one? yeah but, but, yeah, Roger Marshall creates the, yeah. the chat. Well, just while you're on that subject, I read um, some of the IMDb reviews, and one of them is actually from Roger Marshall's son, and he said his dad created the series and he was really disappointed with the way it turned out. Yeah, I he was thinking it would be more hard-hitting, because certainly the episode with Robert Powell is incredibly dark. Mm. You know, it's, it's a real step away from what the rest of the series is yeah. like. Frank Gatliff's shirt isn't very dark. No, Frank Gatliff's that, shirt. That's extremely pink. <laughs> as it, he comes in with his pink cravat as well. Yeah, yeah and it, it leaps from that to the Avengers-y ridiculous situation of the um, the episode in The Merchant Bank. Yeah. And the plots of those, it's almost as though they're from two different series. They're, they're so different. Oh, I mean, yes, because they follow each other. It's, it's, yeah, it's very strange to sort of jump from that darkness of that episode to the complete sort of campness and silliness. I quite like the Peter Vaughan episode. Yes, that is an interesting one. That's quite dark as well. Yeah, because he's an MP and he sees the murder through the window or whatever. Yeah. But then he can't admit to it because he's got a mistress on the go or yeah. something, isn't it? Yeah, and it was from her house that he saw the murder. Yeah. That turned out to be his son-in-law. Yeah, or his prospective son-in-law. Mm. Yeah. The only problem I have with Zodiac, and it's not a huge problem, is... The, in the first episode, I find it very hard to believe that Anushka Hempel would marry Peter Child. Yes. <laughs> it feels like a real mismatch. You're expecting it to be somebody sort of... Glamorous. More glamorous, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah he's a bit sort of shabby and down at heel. Well, she yeah. is stunningly beautiful. I know Simon chides me about this all the time, about how I always comment on how beautiful the women are and, to a lesser extent, how impossibly handsome some of the men are. But she is a real beauty. She's 78 now, I think, and she's still stunning. Have you been on her website? <laughs> no. She's a designer of, like, furniture and hotels and things she like is. that. Yeah. And she's got the most incredibly expensive furniture you could ever buy. Yeah. So it's, it's worth looking up. Like, <laughs> just don't click on anything. Just don't buy anything. Because, like, it'll cost you £4,000 for a chair or something like that. So <laughs> it's an interesting career yeah. she's had. I think she's now married to, um, I can't remember who it is, but somebody who owns... Sort of top hotels. Yeah. So that's obviously where it's come from. 
Well, she's in UFO and Space 1999. Yeah. So she comes from the sort of Jerry Anderson school. Yeah. I was going to say Space 1999. She's given even less to do than Sandra Bennis. <laughs> and and in, in UFO, both Anushka Hempel and Aisha are just wandering around in the background looking decorative, wearing tight costumes. I always ask you this, Lisa, but mm-hmm. how much of the 70s is distilled in this series in terms of attitudes? Oh, to- a lot. To, to people a lot yeah. yeah the third episode one with Norman Ashley in where he's conning all the women by getting their horoscopes and, and telling them all that you think they want to hear and there's quite a lot of sexist attitudes but then there always isn't these things it's when it's it the was territory, made isn't it? yeah yeah, yeah I've seen a lot worse and he was incredibly creepy in that you know if, if somebody comes up to you in a restaurant and suddenly starts telling you your life story you don't think oh we're, we're soulmates you think my god I've got a stalker yeah. <laughs> it's never happened to me but... no <laughs> <laughs> but I can imagine yeah. Yeah. there were some really quite unbelievable plot twists in this so I mean, in the very first episode almost the first thing that happens is that somebody goes to a business associate's flat who isn't there to help yourself to to whiskey help yourself to cigars yeah fair enough do all of that help yourself to the bath <laughs> get stripped <laughs> off and have, and have a bath in this almost stranger's house that really seemed odd you got really cross at that because you paused the entire contents of the bath salts in doesn't oh, it oh yeah yeah yeah, the whole bottle of bath salts. You you float on that if you try to get in that bath. I think it's probably the the second episode when it really hit home. And I know it's the hook to hang the whole series on, but Anton Rogers, his character Grab, he's completely suckered in by. Well, I, I, that sounds really disrespectful to people who believe in astrology. But what I mean is he he genuinely uses it as a sort of a clue or a a device to help him solve crimes because I think in one of them uh, it's all about Thursday's horoscope, something bad will happen to you tonight and there's this click of the fingers and that must be what it meant she was murdered on a Thursday night your horoscope and there's this real genuine reaction shot and you think you're supposed to be an investigative policeman well except he isn't from the very start he he is a policeman because he has to be to keep his income because of some weird stipulation in his grandfather's will uh, and doesn't want to be and wants to take every possible easy option you said Andrew in this world that it does seem to work astrology doesn't well well, that's the thing when we started on this um, I think Lisa assumed I would get really cross I did uh, at this for the whole astrology stuff I'm very much of, of you know astrology and astronomy are so, are so poles apart I think you know where I'm coming from but I can accept it in this sort of setup because it is done in sort of quite a light-hearted approach had the series been a bit more sort of serious then I, it might have given me problems in the same way that I can accept that you know sapphire and steel have powers in their series. I mean, I, I sometimes wonder whether you could almost see this as a very, very sort of light-hearted, diluted Sapphire and Steel relationship. Um, but I don't see Anton Rogers being quite as much of a bastard as Steel. But hey. <laughs> um, no, he's a bit more silver, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> oh, he's very silver. Yeah. yeah. Thinking about that, did you ever see Moon and Sun? 
I You've did. seen it, haven't yeah. you, Lisa? I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. No. It's probably hard to track down. There doesn't seem to be any trees on um, YouTube or anywhere else. But yeah, I remember seeing it at the time, and I remember sort of quite enjoying it in that sort of weird 90s drama thing where they didn't want to do Doctor Who, but they did stuff that was sort of not quite science Yeah, because that, that's from that sort of early to mid-90s period oh. when, yeah. Yeah, virtual murder, crime traveller. Yeah, of, all of that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we watched a virtual murder the, um, during our oh, last recording session. It, it was not well received. Oh, which one was that? Uh, Dream of Dracula. It was awful. Who's in, who's in that? Uh, it's the Julian Clary. Oh, the Julian Clary one. I remember seeing it at the time. I remember seeing John Pertwee in it and thinking, oh, my God, why has he come to it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you see, I really enjoy the John Pertwee one. Yeah, um, I mean, it's a good episode, but it started being... He gets to do a voice. He does. It's not really a recognisable accent. <laughs> um, <laughs> but Moon and Sun was... Uh, struck me as a little bit like Zodiac in that it was very sort of astrologically based now that the two lead characters were both kind of astrologers she she was the uh, the fortune teller he was the businessman but also had psychic ability and could do divining and all that sort of thing and they they got it was, wasn't it an anglo-french thing because they used to go backwards and forwards ag- across the channel and there were yeah. some yeah. episodes set in france and some episodes set in england i remember thoroughly enjoying it at the time i watched another couple of episodes recently and it's not aged particularly well a lot of dramas of that time haven't aged particularly well. I don't quite know what it is, if it's the way they're shot or the effect they use. I always look at these things, and virtual murder is a case in point. Because it's shot on video, it just looks so cheap. It looks like a student project. And I don't know whether you two are familiar with a series called Chef with Lenny Henry. Yes. Now, I adored the first couple of series. They were done on film, it was very lavish, they had an orchestra for the incidental music. For the third series, it was studio-based, done on video, with synthesised music. It changed the whole thing and cheapened it, and all of a sudden this very lavish, beautifully shot, written sitcom turned into a parody of itself, and that to me is how I view a lot of 90s stuff. I mean, I have heard complaints that uh, Neverwhere... Mm. suffers from being shot on video. I, I, actually, I would disagree with that because I think it gives Neverwhere more of a, um, a documentary feel because of the... There are shots in that where it works really well. The thing about Neverwhere, Neverwhere is where you've got the two different settings. So you've got the London above and the London below. It's largely the London below stuff that that's all studio-based and that's the the video stuff. And they, the London above is more set on the, the streets of London and there's a bit at the HMS Belfast and isn't that all on film? And there's a real disjoint between the two, which really works with that series because you're supposed to be looking at two different versions of London. Yeah, I, I really liked Neverwhere mm. at the time. I, I love Neverwhere. It's a great series. Yeah, and have you heard the radio version? We have got it. I haven't actually, again, it's on the pile. <laughs> it's on a huge I think you can assume we've got most things, we just haven't watched or listened to them. Yeah. <laughs> just dragging us back to Zodiac... Oh, um, <laughs> I know, we, we've gone off down a big rabbit hole here, but do we all have a favourite episode? Simon, I'll start with you. Uh, oh, I've, I've kind of got two, and it's really difficult to choose between them, because there's the camp silly Brighton fun 
that is um, her going and, and looking after this shop that her mentor uh, used to own and, and then gets murdered. And there's a lot of interplay with a, a local musician and then gradually turns up and gets jealous. And that really contrasts with a quite a nasty murdery plot with Robert Powell. And the contrast between those two different halves of the story, I really, really like. But I also really like the avengers you feel um, and the almost Agatha Christie feel about the, the final episode in The Merchant Bank. And I find it really difficult to choose between the two of those. It'd be the Sting Sting Scorpio. I think that just has the edge. She's got a wonderful cold in that one as well. Yeah, I think she must have actually, they had to actually write it in to the story. Because she's got a really husky voice and it's mentioned in the final scene. So I don't know what the production turnaround was like, but I think she just turned up on set with the cold and they had to keep, they had to go with it. It's got a really wonderful sort of outside set as well, that Brighton episode, yes. doesn't it? Is, yeah. is, it got the, mm. is it the lanes in Brighton? Very studio about it. Is, yes. Because we've been there and we, I think we popped through and oh, it okay. was all quite narrow. Yes, so, it was. Yeah. Me, I think I, I have to go for the Peter Vaughan episode, mm. um, Saturn's Rewards, just because it's Peter Vaughan. Because <laughs> I'm such a fan of him. And, and he's always wonderfully sinister, no matter mm. what he's playing, you know, from Porridge, even through, like, the rivals of Sherlock Holmes. Oh, he's so, wonderful. So that. when he turned yeah. up in, in, in the fourth episode, I went, yay, Peter Vaughan, that'll do me. The plot does rely on a lot of coincidence. Yes. Because, um, yeah. as you said, the whole Ian Ogilvy thing, that's quite a fun one. Uh, directed by Don Lever. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the another uh, Avengers yes. connection. Yeah. What about you, Lisa? Yes, uh, I think I would probably go, oh, it's quite difficult because I'm very fond of a lot of them. I think I might go for the strength of the Gemini, just because I think it's a bit more lighthearted. I also do quite like the Paul Aquarian, because to get somebody like Michael Gambon, who obviously wasn't that famous at this point, you know, turned out to have a, an amazing career, it's, it's quite a bit of a coup, I think, really. You see, that's my favourite one, the one with Michael Gambon, but purely because Michael Gambon's in it. I just think he's, he's the, the way he plays that character is just wonderful. And it's quite difficult to feel sorry for his, in commas, downtrodden assistant who turns out to be the ultimate culprit. Because you think, you're working for this man who clearly looks after you. What's your beef? The problem with that is the plot makes no sense whatsoever. Well, yeah, but none of them do, really. If you take out Anushka oh, no, Hempel's that, character... That one is particularly bad. I know, but if you take out Anushka Hempel's character, you've got to watch them purely as set pieces and, and just as, as entertainment rather than try and ascribe any sort of deep meaning to them because her character happens to know all of the people that are involved with the murders, or she happens to have some tenuous connection where they've contacted her. From wherever they are in the country, they've contacted her, and then that's how it's all unravelled. Take her out of the equation, all these people would get away with it, because they wouldn't ever come into contact with Anton Rogers. Yeah, I always think it's interesting as well, because obviously she's originally from um, New Zealand, Anushka Hempel, and there are just little bits sometimes where the accent freaks through. Obviously, she's playing it sort of very posh, really. I think she, she's having to take on all sorts of parts at this point. She'd lost her husband a year or so before, and she had a family to uh, support. Yeah, there's actually a note about that in the uh, in the TV Time piece. There's an article about the show in the TV Time, which is mostly an excuse for Roger Elliott's TV Times' astrologer. <laughs> to talk about murder. But there's a couple of things I'd just like to read out. 
It says, many professions have their own TV series. Doctors in general hospital, lawyers in the main chairs, even ticket collectors in on the buses. I just love the way they crowbar on the buses into, the, into that article. But it says, Anushka Hempel, star of Zodiac, was left with two stepchildren and two children of her own when her husband died in a road accident last year. So I guess being offered uh, six episodes of a series, yeah. I think she was very, probably very glad to take it. But in, in sort of proving that we're, you know, in the 70s here, there's, a, there's another thing about the producer of the show, uh, Jacqueline Davis. And um, it's just a sort of couple of paragraphs. But I love the way that in writing about the producer of the show, it says, Jackie Davis, a handsome, lively lady. <laughs> like, it matters. <laughs> mm. she's handsome and lively but yeah. you have to put that because she's a female producer you have to put that in the article so yeah welcome to the 70s chat <laughs> but everything about this program screams the 1970s it couldn't be any more 70s if it tried <laughs> it, to me of all the things that we've watched this is the one that reminds me very much of my childhood because all of those even down to some of the crockery I recognise from my childhood. Well, Simon, you might like to know that the Tomorrow People story showing at the time is the blue and the green. Oh, we, a, a good one. We haven't actually covered a good Tomorrow People story yet. We've done a couple of terrible ones. Yeah. So that was on at 4.50. Zodiac was on at 9 o'clock. Blue and the green, cuckoo in the nest. And actually, the blue and the green may well have covered the entire series. because That's a seven-parter, isn't it? Is it that long? It's either six or seven. It, it's quite right. long. I'd need to go through the rest of the TV times. But there you are, Blue and the Green and Zodiac all on one night. So not too bad, is it? Before you lot get in a <laughs> entrenched in Tomorrow People nostalgia, because I know that Simon does not need any excuse whatsoever on this, shall we have, <laughs> shall we have a post-mortem of Zodiac? On the whole, what do we think? On the whole, it's harmless fun. Yeah. And sometimes that's all you want. Yeah, just, just a little bit of entertaining. Yeah, we, we, we've drama. watched every episode at least twice, possibly three times. Yeah. We get to the end of episodes and six and think, oh, I wish there was another disc. Yeah. I have no idea where the series could have gone, whether, mm. you know, you should have done another series next year. But it's light-hearted fun, and that's no bad thing sometimes. Yeah. everything has to be hard-hitting and... Uh, worthy. Worthy, yeah. yeah. I, I can have enough of worthy things sometimes. <laughs> I agree. I think it, I think it's an awful lot of fun. Um, in terms of the sort of campy nonsensicalness, it kind of reminds me of Spider's Web, which would have been slightly earlier, I think. I'm not sure I agree that it would have benefited from more episodes i i think it's the the sort of very limited premise that you'd, you'd really find out um diminishing returns from so the episodes that there were are really nice and there's a bit of variety to each of them but you would very quickly get sick of the she turns up with an astrology chart in her hands and point, points the finger at the, the guilty party so I think six episodes is quite nice. And there's other deft stuff from around the early 70s that you can watch if, you've, if, you, if it's given you a taste for that. But I, I thoroughly enjoyed re-watching it. In terms of, what, well, it's what you and Andy and Lisa, it's what you've said. Logically, it should have been a 12-part series. Uh, or 13 now, I believe this Ophiacus has appeared out of nowhere. Yeah. Where, uh, excuse me, hang on. <laughs> no, it hasn't appeared out of nowhere. It's always been there. It's just that it happens to pass the ecliptic and astrologers have never noticed. Astronomers <laughs> always knew. <Yeah. laughs> 
They I, never noticed that they didn't like the idea of 13. Yeah. I do. I, I did read somewhere that there's a lot of angry people because apparently everybody's uh, style sign has now shifted from forward. There's lots of people saying, well, I'm not that one. Oh, I'm grinding my teeth already. I'm not talking about that. <laughs> well, apparently I am now Capricorn and, and several of my mates have, they've shifted too. And they've, oh, yeah, well, my character traits actually do fit more into that. Oh. Please, please talk to somebody else about this. It's falling on deaf ears. Um, but in, I've got to agree with Simon on this. It's six episodes of amusing, diverting fluff. It's very, very well cast. I think that the people that they've got in it are... Whether they were known at the time, they've certainly become known. The vast, vast majority of them have been seen quite high profile in other things. Um, but I, I'm not entirely sure that a second series would have been... Oh, thank God, that's back. A new series of this. We must, we must gather around and watch this. So I enjoyed it, but I wouldn't go back to it, I don't think. But... Again, I've got to take my hat off to network. There's a lot of these things would never, ever be possibly even remembered, let alone see the light of day if it wasn't for network. Well, it is in the blue book. I'm still ploughing through that. That's what I'm reading tonight after we finish this. I'm really enjoying the blue book, by the way. Um, it was my, my introduction to an awful lot of these. I mean, I first saw Zodiac at a British Film Institute thing back in the early 90s, I think, called Watching the Detectives, as well as the more well-regarded stuff. They, they had some obscure things, and Zodiac was and still is pretty obscure. And, so, and I saw one of the episode, one of the episodes there, and I can't for the life of me remember which episode it was, because I've seen them all several times since, since I got the, the DVD. But yeah, I'm quietly quite a fan of Zodiac. Well, I've enjoyed it a lot more than I expected to. I'm coming to this cold as I do with a lot of things, but with rare exceptions, I do enjoy most of the stuff that we do. I think the biggest disappointment recently was Sapphire and Steel, the railway one. Oh, that that was my fault. I'm afraid I, I, because we wanted to do do the whole do a whole sapphire and steel story and there there were other things going on around um world wars we set we sat through the whole eight episodes of the railway station back to back and it's a mistake it would be like like sitting through all 10 episodes of the the war games if we'd done the war games that way rather than okay you need to watch this two episodes at a time technically you should like watch the first two or three episodes then have a break for about three months whilst itv goes on strike and then come back and, and watch the rest it should take four or five months to to watch it really or have a bit of common sense and watch all six episodes of dr mcd must die or the first story i i love dr mcd must die it 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 stands out as being a bit different from all of the others probably because it was the only one that pj hammond didn't write but yeah, we could do do that at some point. That um, watching all of the railway station back to back is a mistake. It's a fantastic story that is dragged out to twice its natural length. So I was just going to say there are whole episodes in in the railway station where nothing really happens apart from a few noises and and pack up your troubles, which is no bad thing. But it's, oh, yeah. it's atmospheric as hell. But yeah, yeah I, I I can't imagine doing the whole thing in one session. It was torture. Now bear in mind, it's the one that I've always wanted to see. I love railway stations and. I've enjoyed Sapphire and Steel, but that was the Sapphire and Steel version of the War Games. There is a Shadows episode that's set in a railway station, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, that's good. Yeah, and that gets it all over within twenty-five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We could do some Shadows. They they did some um, good stuff in that, and I, 
Is there a Tales of the Unexpected as well? I mean, the Tales of the Unexpected, I th- think, probably had episodes set just about everywhere. Just one final thought on Zodiac. Did any of you feel that the episodes were a lot longer than they were? Because they, not really. They all felt like ninety minutes. They felt oh, no. so no. long. No, no, I don't think. Uh, yeah, they they felt like a normal TV episode length. Yeah, no, I, I have no problem with it really. No, I mean, we do them over a cup of tea of an evening and then cup of tea and a bit of cake and Mm -hmm. Zodiac and 50 minutes or however long went went in 50 minutes. So Mm. Yeah, no, I, I didn't notice any of them dragging. It wasn't that they dragged. It's just I can't explain it. They felt so long. There was no drag factor at all. I was just surprised that they were only an hour long each. I don't know. Some of the frocks she wears has a fair big drag factor. (laughs) <laughs> Don't start. Uh, before Siri comes out and gives her opinion, shall we wrap this up? Any final thoughts, anyone? No, it was, it was a good suggestion on your part to do this. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that we went back to it. We probably yeah. won't rewatch it again for a fourth time for many years, no. but it's certainly one to add to your collection if you, if you don't know it and don't mind a bit of multi-camera studio stuff, mm-hmm. which for me is often the appeal with these things. Yeah. And it, yeah. it's cheap and cheerful. Is mm-hmm. it still available? Probably, isn't it? Possibly. There's usually a Somewhere. network sale going on. Yeah. So. I'm not actually sure it's available on the network now. No. I think it's been deleted. Okay, we can flog, we can flog you our copy if you want to. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> it'll be available on other retailers, yeah. I expect. But yeah, good, yeah. good fun. It was, it was a, an enjoyable rewatch, and I think a lot of our listeners would, if they're not aware of it, would probably enjoy watching it. I'd agree with that, yeah. If nothing else, it's entertainment on the screen and it's just one of those disengaged brain and just enjoy the spectacle. Yes, and you need that every so often. No, not everything can be threads and the machine stops. Oh, yeah. no. Certainly with the state of the world at the moment. Oh, yes. It's, grab it's, yourself a bit of fun. It's, it's nice well, to hey. sort of go back to a time where things were a bit more innocent and people didn't worry about the things we worry about now. And it's always nice to see Anton Rogers in something that's not fresh fields. <laughs> yes, he did do other things. Or May to December. <laughs> I do like May to December. Although, to to be fair, in this, he really was punching above his weight trying to get a hold of her, wasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> She didn't seem to be complaining a lot of the time, no, though. So. Didn't. Right from, I, I have to say, right back to episode one, she was incredibly, considering that she'd just lost her husband, she was extremely flirty with him right from the start. Um, there was no mourning going on there. A estranged husband of a number of years, so, because she was saying that she hadn't seen him for years on end. Mm, yeah. He does seem to spend a lot of tr- time trying to look through the telescope for the but, woman that yeah, lives opposite. Yeah, the stewardess yeah. opposite, yeah. Yeah, that was a bit creepy. There are bits of it where you're like, oh yeah, that's the 70s. We love yes. the 70s, let's not pretend. <laughs> and on that note, I shall wrap it up. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it. Thank you, as ever, Andy and Lisa, for joining us, giving us your time. Pleasure. Thank you. Good talking to you. Yes, thank you. And we'll be back in the next edition with something equally whimsical. Goodbye, boys and girls. Thank you. Bye now. Bye. Bye. The Exton Moss Experiment featured Simon Exton, Ken Moss, Lisa Parker and Andrew Trowbridge. All featured television soundtracks are the property of their respective producers and no infringement of copyright is intended. The programme was edited in Rishton, Lancashire and produced by Maverick Productions.
information, please visit our website at extonmossexperiment.blogspot.com or find us on Facebook.